When a man tries to expose government corruption, he learns very quickly, trust no one. And then we meet a young man out for a stroll in the mountains of Georgia. He thinks he's going to take a nice leisurely walk and enjoy the view. He has no idea what he's about to view is the impossible today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. Let's go ahead and introduce today's Patreon walking into Dead Rabbit Command Rat. I don't know why I said that, like he's a toddler or something. Come here, come here, come in for today's Patreon supporter. Give it up for Owen Kaufman. Woo! Coochie, coochie, coo! Pinch those cheeks. Owen, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys, We'll get a booster seat for you. If you guys can't support the Patreon, that's fine too. Just help spread the word about this show. That really, really helps out a lot. Owen Kaufman, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the dead rabbit dirigible. We're going to leave behind dead rabbit command. We're going to go all the way out to Washington, D.C. Nice leisurely flight all the way out there. <laughs> the one actually has some of those big old plastic baby keys where the one's flying the dirigible while he's in his playpen. I don't, dude, I keep, keep going hard on this guy. I don't know. Maybe it's an actual baby. Hope not. Oh, and I'm sure, I'm sure you're a big boy. You're a big boy. You are, yes. Owen, go ahead and land this Dead Rabbit Dirigible here in Washington, D.C. This story popped up while I was on my break, and I've been absolutely fascinated by it the whole time this is going on. What happened, if you guys aren't following the news, there's this U.S. representative named Madison Cawthorn. They say he's the youngest member of Congress ever, like no one's ever been elected at his age. He's 26 now, but when he was elected, he was the youngest, and we're talking ever. Right, Even like in Abraham Lincoln's days, they weren't this young. He's a Republican representative from North Carolina. And what's going on is he recently did an interview with a podcast called the Warrior Poet Society. And his what he said on this podcast has turned D.C. into a feeding frenzy. Everyone wants to take a bite out of this dude now. And what happened was on the Warrior Poet Society podcast, they asked him, hey, how much is real life D.C., Washington politics, like the Kevin Spacey show, House of Cards, which had a bunch of like back dealings and like bribery and stuff like that. And Kevin Spacey was in it. So, of course, it was super gross. And what he says is this in a nutshell. The sexual perversion in Washington, D.C., would make your head spin. And maybe that's your kink. Maybe you love seeing head spin. But the sexual perversion that goes on in Washington, D.C. is out of control. Now, that in and of itself, no one would be shocked by that statement. I don't think anyone would be shocked by that statement because powerful people tend to be super gross. You get bored easily, right? You can do whatever you want with your money, and so you want to start doing stuff that normal people can't. Powerful people tend to be super gross people. And he goes... Those are my words, not his, right? But he says the sexual perversion that goes on in Washington, D.C., it's astounding. He said, listen, there's been a lot of people I've looked up to in politics. I've followed politics all my life, and I'm hanging out with these people. And I'm actually super young, right? Youngest member of Congress ever. The average age of these politicians are 60, 70 years old. And I'm getting invited to orgies. And that's super gross, right? Right? That's super gross, but... 
Not only that, he goes, there are people out there that have like a really strong don't say no. No, no, that's not, that's not, that's the drug dealer saying, just say no, just say no is the actual thing. Just say no to drugs. He goes, there are people who are always fighting the war on drugs and I've seen him do cocaine, a bump of cocaine right in front of me. He goes, this is wild. These are people that I looked up to my entire life inviting me to orgies and doing cocaine. Now, the statement, what's interesting is, someone tells me that, I go, yeah, I can see a bunch of powerful people wanting to bang each other and stuff like that. I don't know if they, I don't know if they have crutches on each other. They're like, ooh, that senator from Maryland is so hot. I don't know if it's that, I think, but they are having these orgies and they're doing this cocaine. Uh, maybe at the same time, I would assume at the same time, right? I actually had a good friend of mine. She went to an orgy. This was years ago. She went to an orgy and she told me, don't ever, don't ever go to an orgy. Don't ever do an orgy, Jason. And I, of course, I have to ask the follow-up question. Well, why not? And she goes, this is super interesting. She went to an orgy in downtown Sacramento. It was like a bar after hours. And it was like maybe like 40 people. And she said, I, I never thought of this before. She said, the smell. She goes within... <laughs> She goes within like 10, 20 minutes, the smell, the room became so smelly that she wanted to vomit. She said it was super disgusting. It was so gross. She felt so dirty afterwards. Super gross. And so not like the good kind of dirty either. Like the, <laughs> the I've smelled 40 people's bodily fluids trapped in a room. And it, bars aren't the super most clean place to begin with, right? So bars, you have all that smell. And then you have 40 people banging each other. She said it was the she it was super gross, super gross. Now imagine those were like people in their 20s and 30s in this orgy and now magnify the smell by mumra levels. 60s, 70s, you're basically just like a desiccated corpse banging each other. <laughs> Now, to all of my listeners in their 60s and 70s, I wasn't talking about you. You look very young and fit. Have you been working out? But these dudes in Washington, I mean, I don't think I'd want to have sex with a politician to begin with. But imagine having an orgy with politicians. Gross. So anyways, Madison Cawthorn. Madison Cawthorn wasn't going on about how disgusting his fellow senators and representatives were. The problem with this statement that he made, like, again, that, that's not mind-blowing, right? I, I think everyone would go, yeah, I imagine there were D.C. orgies. Or maybe not. <laughs> maybe you were not as perverted as I am. But a bunch of old people rubbing up against each other, their wrinkles, like, perfectly matching into other people's wrinkles. You complete me. Like, every fold of their skin is perfectly... They become one. It's like a yin-yang symbol. A yin-yang symbol of wrinkles. But nothing good has come out of this for Madison Cawthorn. What happened... And this is very interesting. So he makes a statement, Washington goes nuts. And here's why. A normal person, this totally makes sense to them that this is going on. But within Washington, this was a Republican going after other Republicans. He doesn't specifically say that, but he goes, these are people I looked up to all my life inviting me to orgies. And because he didn't name names... People have been getting phone calls from their constituents for the past couple weeks saying, are you the one having the orgy? And they're like, no, for the last time, I haven't been invited to an orgy. As, as the senator's crying, he's like, oh, I'm the only person who doesn't get invited to the orgies. And every time a constituent calls in to ask, he's reminded of that. Oh, my secret shame. 60 people don't want to have sex with me. 
he go. I was reading all these articles, and they're like, basically, he accused anonymous members of the Republican Party, so they've been getting constant calls and letters saying, are you part of this orgy underground? And these senators and these representatives have to say, no, no, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> they're having an orgy. They're writing a letter. Their handwriting's all bumpy. They're like trying. They're like, oh, can you give me at least five seconds of innocent sentence? And then they've said spouses, right? These people's wives and husbands have been like, hey, this guy said this on this podcast. This is huge news going around D.C. And it's so funny because... Politicians are constantly saying stupid stuff, saying just stupid nitwit stuff, and it doesn't blow up like this. CNN actually had a really interesting article by Clint Clazilla, and he said the reason why this is such a big story, because politicians always say dumb stuff. Politicians are not smart people. They won a popularity contest in their neighborhood, and they go to D.C. That's all it is. Politicians are not intelligent people. They may know about politics, but other than that, they're dumb as a clay brick in a hot summer sun. They're idiots. So they're constantly saying dumb stuff. So why is this guy being singled out? It's because he won't name names. He's not saying specifically who it is. So everyone's a suspect as part of this cocaine-fueled orgy subculture. So people have come out and said, name names, dude. Nate, tell exactly who you're talking about. And then other people are like, no, don't name names, because here's the problem. If he's lying, if he's making the story up and he's pressured to name names, those politicians will always be besmirched. They'll always be considered part of this orgy thing, even if he's just making it up. And it, But as long as he doesn't name names, then anyone's suspect. It's a super weird thing that's going on. This is currently going on. He's most likely going to lose his seat. I believe that this is most likely true. To the point that other senators, the House representative, the House minority leader, the leader of the Republicans in the House of Representatives, he came forward and goes, listen, guys, I want to clear the air. Madison Cawthorn, talk to me privately. There's no record of this. I don't have a recording or no notes. But he told me privately he made it all up. And he said the person he saw doing cocaine was 100 yards away in a parking structure. So don't worry, everyone. Don't worry, news media. He made it up. And that story ran for about a day or two, and then Madison Cawthorn came forward and said, no. He said, quote, corruption and unethical activities exist in Washington. It's an indisputable fact. If you don't think that's true, you've not witnessed the swamp, which was an old Trump term about just the, the grossness and the malaise and the corruption of Washington, D.C. And then he says this, and this is why I wanted I wanted to cover it, one, because it this really falls into that conspiracy realm, right? Where a guy is saying this stuff is going on. He said it very nonchalantly, and it's really shaken up the political power structure in Washington. But then he also says this, and this is something that we see a lot in conspiracy theory culture. This is what he tweeted out, quote... Compromising activities occur because when other people can place you in a compromising position, they control you, unquote. That has been a trope in conspiracy theories as long as probably governments existed. I've heard this for a long time. Don't know how true this is. But I've heard that when you get elected, this is super gross, but when you get elected to a high level of office, they, they whoever they are, CIA or foreign intelligence agency, something like that, KGB, whatever. Or just the swamp, right? Just the inner workings of D.C. When you become a high-level politician, they say, do you, this is so gross. I don't even like talking about this type of stuff on the podcast. They say, here is a young child 
have sex with them. And you'd be like, no, that's super gross. That's, I'm not going to do that. And then they go, well, if you don't get your understanding citizen, that was a test. That was a test. What they do is they say, if you have sex with a kid, now we have evidence that you're a big old pervo, so you'll do whatever we say, because we'll expose it. But if you don't have sex with a kid, we're just going to say it anyways. Which I would still be like, okay, make it up, I don't care. It's not true. But I've heard of that as a thing, and like sometimes they'd knock you out, they'd give you a drink, and you'd like fall asleep, and then you'd wake up next to the kid, and there'd be people taking pictures, and they're like, great, we have another senator in our pocket, you're going to vote for all this stuff. I don't know how true that, that sounds like super extreme. I don't think you have to go to those extremes. You could just be like, we'll shoot your family if you don't vote for that, which is also super extreme too, right? But I've heard that, like that's an old conspiracy theory trope. That they come to you and they put you in a compromising position. They give you the offer. Hey, do you want to do this? Do you want to steal this gold from Fort Knox? Or we're just going to put you in a drawing with the Beagle Boys, breaking into Fort Knox, stealing gold. You can do either one, but we're going to have you in our pocket. So this idea of compromising photos, compromising information. Because politicians, again, they're nitwits who want to be popular. There's always been that old thing politicians are people too ugly to make it in Hollywood. That's an old joke. I definitely think they have that need for fame and popularity. Not all of them. I'm sure some of them are good. But for the most part, I think they've won a popularity contest in their neighborhood, and now they're in the national stage. It would be like if you, all of a sudden, had a national pulpit, right? You could talk about stuff. And that's what this Madison Cawthorn is doing. But I think most of them instantly get churned into the same hamburger meat that the machine's been churning out for the past 250 years. And if you go against the grain, if you add a little spice to that meatloaf, they churn you a little bit more. And then, see, nowadays, like Madison Cawthorn, this story would have never gotten out 30 years ago. It's because this guy's tweeting it and it's going through podcasts and stuff like that. This information, they would have just called to the New York Times and say, nope, you're not running the article. Run a retraction. But now you can tweet and do all this stuff. So it's out there. He's standing by his story. The Republicans are getting ready to primary him. He's up for election, I think, in November. And his own party is saying, we are not going to run you as the candidate. We're going to run people against you. So does that mean that what he's telling is true? I mean, in the world of conspiracy theory, he's not saying... I just think in the world of human nature, forget conspiracy theory, if a bunch of consenting adults having an orgy... It may be super gross and smelly. It's not against the law. I hate people who are anti-drug and then do drugs themselves, That's but that happens too. But yeah, fascinating. Has he exposed the corruption? Really? Corruption we already knew, right? None of this is shocking, but they're coming after this dude hard. And as far as the conspiracy lore goes, this is true. But let's leave behind this orgy of elderly people. Owen, Owen, Kaufman's, Owen Kaufman's throwing over the corner. Owen, let's go ahead and toss you the keys of the carpenter copter. Let's get out of here. We're leaving behind Washington, D.C. We are headed all the way out to Georgia. I want to get a little meta here for a second, man. I don't, yesterday's episode was really rough, and I think some of you guys, some of the longtime listeners may have realized I seemed a little bit off my game. Maybe not. I judge the show very harshly, you know, when you create something yourself. But man, I had a really rough weekend. I was getting my stories ready, and I found this awesome story on the export. They were talking about weird stories that come out of Georgia. 
And I was like, oh, that'll be cool. I love these threads. Packed my computer up, went down a local coffee shop. I didn't have the Wi-Fi password, so I was like, whatever. I had copy and pasted the story into my Word document, and I was looking at it from there, and I read this awesome story about this chemical plant leak. And there was this psychiatrist that worked for the federal government. He was sent out to Georgia to meet these guys who got caught in this chemical leak and find out why one of them died. And it turns out there was a giant wasp with a slug's body. And I was like, dude, this story's dope. And then I got my internet working and I found out it was totally fake. It was so fake. I was so mad. I spent so much time like typing it up and I was thinking about, oh, dude, I like all the sound effects and stuff like that. Like when you shot it, it sounded like nails on a chalkboard and a Vesuvula playing at the same time. You're like, oh, I'm so glad you didn't do that sound effects. But anyway, so um, I was super excited, and be- because I couldn't actually view the webpage because the internet didn't work, I was just going off the notes that I copied and pasted. At the end of my notes, it said, here's a drawing of the wasp monster, but I couldn't see what it was because I didn't have internet. And then I got the internet, came back home, got on my Wi-Fi, it was a picture from a Japanese comic book. I'm like, damn it, this is totally fake. And people kept egging him on and be like, oh, tell us more stories. And then he says, yeah, one time, apparently the psychiatrist has had more ghost adventures than the brothers from Supernatural. He goes, one time I was in the Okefenoki Swamp, and this guy told me about a haunted pirate sword, and this kid, like, pulled the sword out of the swamp, and then the ghost possessed him. I'm like, that did <laughs> Did it happen, man? And I was so mad. I was so mad because I spent so much time typing up my notes on the slug wasp story. And it was going to be one of my, it was really going to be the story I started the season off with. And then he's like, and then one time I didn't, I didn't cover this case, but my buddy did. I'm like, oh, I mean, at this point I was just being a masochist. I already was like, oh man, I wasted so much time typing up that stupid wasp story, typing up the notes. He goes, my buddy had a had a case. Apparently, this is a thing where the government sends out psychiatrists around the country where he went to a swamp or somewhere. He went to a senator's mansion. There's an orgy going on. He's like, excuse me. Apparently, this senator killed a witch or had some local goons kill a witch. This wasn't on a creepypasta page, right? These were supposed to be true. And the witch was actually like a possum. And then, like, a possum breaks into their house and has human teeth. I was... It's, here's the thing. Like, the first story was so good, dude. Don't ruin it. I mean, I here's the thing. It's so funny because I thought the first story, even though it involved... <laughs> even though it involved... You're like, Jason, why is a giant wasp with a slug body more believable than a possum with human teeth? And a plate of spaghetti that turned into possum tails? Um... Here's the thing. This is so interesting. If you only... I have a couple really good ghost stories, anecdotes that happened to me. And I think it's possible to have more than one good ghost story or more than one good paranormal story. But you can. one of the key ways you can tell if someone's making it up is if all the stories they're telling have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Because in reality, there's a lot of ghost stories that they go, you ask, well, then what happened? They're like, oh, like, I don't know. Like, it just went away. Like, something was in my house, and I was seeing something standing at the end of the hallway, and it was in my little girl's room, and then 
it, it, we, the phenomenon stopped. That's how a lot of normal ghost stories go. It doesn't end with the little girl being possessed, juggling possums, floating around with a ghost pirate sword. I was so mad. And when I was recording yesterday's episode, I actually was like, I, was, I felt I sucked because I was starting off the season. And I felt burned out. I felt ripped off. I don't. I don't cover stuff that I know is fake. Unless I'm doing it, unless I'm like trying to expose a fraud or something like that, like Ed and Lorraine Warren or something, doing something like that. But oh, I was so, and I, f- I feel like that came across in yesterday's episode. But I wanted to highlight the wasp slug story because that's where I, this next story that we're going to do is also from that same thread. So if you want to know more about the possum witch and all that stuff, you can go to the link in this episode. But this story, I love. This story I love. It doesn't it doesn't involve possums. It doesn't involve giant monsters. But it's one of those stories that could happen. And if it is real, is just something just supernaturally terrifying about it. We're in Georgia, and there's a kid. His family's from Florida. We're gonna call him Tyler. Tyler here. His family's from Florida, and they're visiting Georgia. They're staying at a cabin. In the wilderness, there's a mountain nearby. And he's there with his mom, his dad, and his brother. And they go, you know what, we're going to go for a nice hike up the mountain. And Tyler's like, nah, I'm good. Family's like, okay, we're not going to make you. Because that's like the worst thing you can do is make someone go for a hike. But 30 minutes pass and Tyler gets bored. He's just sitting in the cabin all by himself. So he decides to join them. He figures <laughs> he figures what the risk of me wandering off into the wilderness, having no idea what's around. I'm not even a local to the area. What could possibly go wrong? So he decides to go track them down. He walks outside of the cabin and behind the cabin, I, I think it's one of those areas that kind of has multiple cabins in it where a lot of people are staying at once. There's this wide trail leading off towards the mountain. And he journeys off, and as he's walking down this trail, enjoying just the nature of the world, birds chirping, leaves rustling, Vesuvulas and fingernails on chalkboards playing in the distance. He's just walking through the wilderness, and the path starts to grow smaller as the journey continues. And he passes by an old barn sitting there. The wood is rotting, the paint has long peeled away, nature is reclaiming this structure. He continues walking, he passes some rusted farm equipment left by farmers long ago. He keeps going. And the further he's going on this walk, he notices that the trail is getting more and more narrow. And now he realizes the forest is silent. The only sound he hears is his feet crunching down on the trail. There's no birds. There's no bugs. <laughs> you normally don't hear bugs unless it's at night and it's a cricket. He's like, I don't hear a ladybug. He's walking. He doesn't hear any birds. He's walking through the area. It's completely quiet. And eventually the path comes to a forested area. And the footpath actually passes in between two trees, which he finds odd. Like, why would you put the path through the two trees? And now at this point, it's becoming very, very narrow, but he keeps walking. He has to squeeze through the trees. That's how narrow this path is. And when he gets through those trees, he notices that there is now a huge open area surrounded by the forest. It's this clearing made of red clay. 
sitting right in the middle of this dense forest. And as he enters this, what's the term for it? I think Glen has like river in it, right? Has like some water in it. As he enters this circle, as he enters this circle thing in the forest, there's a term for it. Prairie? As he enters this glade, now I'm just naming, now I'm just naming stuff. As he enters this area, he sees in the middle of it a car. A Dodge Dart from the 1960s is sitting right in the middle of this patch of land. And it's a beauty. This car is in pristine condition. A baby blue paint job that is so shiny, Tyler can actually see the clouds reflected on it. The cream-colored canvas top is spotless. And sitting in the car is a man. Now, what's really boggling his mind? Seeing cars, he's not like, well, golly, that's one of them horseless carriages. He knows what a car looks like. He can obviously identify like the make and model. He can't figure out how it got here because he's having to squeeze through trees. There's no road to get here, and there's a dense forest surrounding this clearing. That's the word I was looking for, this clearing. And he's like, how would you even get the vehicle in here? There's no way. I mean, technically you could, but you'd either be knocking over trees or the car wouldn't be in perfect condition. How did it get here? And how did it get here and stay so clean? There's another mystery, right? There's a guy sitting in the car and he sees this dude sitting in the driver's seat. He's dressed in all black. He describes it as an old-fashioned type suit all black, wearing sunglasses, and the guy's just sitting there in the car. And he goes, listen, he may or may not have had a fedora on. I don't really remember, but he was definitely dressed to the nines. He's walking, and he goes, this guy's wearing this old-fashioned suit and this old-fashioned car, but we're in the sticks, right? This is the boonies, so, you know, they don't really keep... They don't get Cosmo here. They don't get GQ. They don't really keep up with the times. That doesn't... His fashion choices in the car don't... Ring any alarm bells. What rings the alarm bells is how did the car get here in the first place? But while he's walking by the car, he looks at the man and he smiles and he kind of does a friendly wave. And the man in the car looks at Tyler and waves back, flashing a nice little smile as well. And Tyler's looking at this car and he's about to compliment it. He's looking at this dude. He's looking at this slick car, right? And he's about to say, man, a nice car. How'd you break the laws of physics to get it here? He's about to compliment the car. And then all of a sudden, there's a rustling of leaves behind him. Now, this is the first sound Tyler has heard in a while. The only thing that he's been hearing along this journey is this crunch of the rocks under his own feet. It's been silenced the rest of the way. So when he hears the leaves rustling behind him, he immediately turns back to see what it could possibly be. There's nothing there. So he turns back to the car. So he turns back to the man, right? He was going to compliment the car. He's like, I was so rudely, rudely interrupted by that noise. He turns back to the man. The man's gone. And I could say the car is gone, I'd be half right. Because when he turns back, what he sees is this 1960s Dodge Dart with this baby blue paint job reflecting the Georgia sunshine. 
and this perfectly clean, cream-colored cannabis top. When he turns back, it is a rusted heap. The tires long deflated with weeds surrounding this piece of junk. A few flakes of paint still attached to this heap. Showing at one time it truly was baby blue. But these flecks of paint have been beaten down by the elements. The canvas top ripped open the interior of the car beyond saving. The entire thing has been trashed. This classic car was conquered by the natural elements long ago. And Tyler's standing there in this red clay clearing. Alone. The man is gone. The car is junk. And he has to make a decision. (laughs) Is he going to poop his pants or pee his pants? He's standing there and he goes, Okay, that was weird. Possibly my imagination. I do have a vivid imagination. I'm constantly hallucinating cars. It could have been my imagination. Very, very skeptical way of looking at things. He goes, but I have two choices. I can go back to the cabin, back the way I came, or I can go forward along this possibly cursed path to find my family. But, I, you know, I, it was just my imagination. I just imagined all that stuff. However, if I go back home, I'm going back to an empty cabin. So if something truly supernatural is afoot... Then I'm not going to, you know, it's not like I can throw my brother in front of the demon and go, get him, get him. So if I go forward, I'm sure to find my family. And then, you know, I can tell them about this and they'll probably just tell me I was just hallucinating. So I'm going to continue my journey forward through the wilderness. He sees on the other side of the clearing, there is a path squeezing between the trees leading out. So he clearly sees that this was the way I came and there is a path leading out of it. So I'm going to take that. He goes to that path and he continues to walk forward. He's walking through the forest and once again he is smothered by silence. But then sound does emerge. The sound of flies. And he hears them. But he can't see them. Generally, if a fly is close enough for... <laughs> Do I have to explain this? If, he, if you can't, if you can hear it, you can generally see it. I don't think I have to go into fly physics. He can't see them, so it's weird. He's hearing these flies, and they sound like they're right next to him, but he can't see any of them. And as he continues to walk, the sound grows louder and louder and louder, to the point that it begins to sound like there's dozens of flies right next to his head. Flying around him, and then all of a sudden, like, Jason, please shut off. Please shut off the flies. I know what a fly sounds like, okay? Okay, you've already taken off your headphones and you're just listening to me going, super loud. <laughs> anyways, anyways, I love doing this show. Anyways, he's walking, the fly, the fly sound effects continue on for a very long time at different volumes. He's walking and then all of a sudden his nostrils are hit with the smell of death. He smells like right up into his nose, decaying flesh, 
meat left out in the sun to bubble and boil and be torn apart by maggots' mouths. That's that smell, the smell we're all familiar with when every time we walk into an Arby's. He smells it. It fills up his nostrils. He's surrounded by death. But here's the thing. He can't see anything around him that would make him think this was real. He's hearing the buzzing of dozens of flies around him. He smells a freshly killed carcass baking in the sun. This is enough for him, right? This is he's 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 met his limit of weird stuff for the afternoon. He feels like he has to get out of there. So he turns and he runs down the trail. He runs away from the buzzing of flies and away from the decaying smell. He runs into the clearing and passes the rusted out car. And squeezes between the trees and begins to run down the trail. He runs past the rusted farm equipment. Surrounded by tall grass and keeps running. He runs past the dilapidated barn and keeps running. And eventually he sees where the trail gets wide. And he continues to run and he sees the cabin that his family had rented out for this vacation. And he runs in the front door. His family's there. They got back from their mountain trip. And he wasn't there. They thought it was super weird, right? They're a little concerned. They're visiting this area. One of their kids is missing. He runs in and he tells them his experience. He goes, I took the path and da-da-da-da-da-da. He's sitting there and he goes, and dozens of flies. He's doing that sound effect around and they're like, ah. And he was insistent. He goes, we need to go down that trail. Like, I don't know what was going on, but... Let's just go down that trail tomorrow. And the family's like, yeah, you know, we're out here to hike. Why don't we hike on the edge of the Twilight Zone as well? Because, again, very the family's taking a very skeptical approach to this. Like, yeah, you know, you might have hallucinated the car. I don't know if you'd be that nonchalant if your kid was hallucinating. But they go, yeah, let's go check it out tomorrow. So the next day, they decide to take the hike down this trail. Because at the very least, they want to look at this cool car that Dad's all sitting in and it's all super rusty. He's like, yay, this is the car I always wanted as a kid. And the thousands of Black Widow bites are just a bonus as I'm sitting in this rusted piece of junk. They're walking the trail. They go take the trail that's behind the cabin and they walk. They continue to walk. And they're walking. And they end up back at the cabin. And Tyler's like, what happened? When I took this trail, it led off to the forest and the barn and all this stuff. And there, the family's like, well, there are no turnoffs from this trail. Like, we took the trail. And he goes, yeah, there was no turnoffs when I took the trail either, but we didn't see the barn, we didn't see the equipment, we didn't see any of that stuff. Let's do it again. Family's like, oh, you know, what's the harm? We're here to go hiking anyways. So they walk on the trail again, and sure enough, they end up back at the cabin. This trail is a massive circle. With no turnoffs, that always leads back to the cabin. Tyler said we walked that three times. I had to be sure that we weren't missing something. And every time we took that trail, it never led off into the forest. It never passed the barn. We never saw the rusted equipment. It never led into the forest. The trail I took the day before was no longer there. 
fascinating story. I love this story. Right? It doesn't have a it doesn't have a wasp with a slug body. But this is one of those these type of stories are so terrifying. You have to think. This is one of you know what I mean. Like one, the story doesn't have a conclusion. There's so many questions. When this is one of those stories, like it just there's so many questions at the end of it. Right? What happened to the trail he took in the first place? What? Where did he go? Like, just Tyler's journey alone is a whole host of questions. But then, who was the man in the car? How did the car get there? The the man didn't seem perplexed or frustrated or anything like that. And even if it was a ghost car... I remember when I was first reading the story, I thought, because when I didn't know how it was going to end, how normal stories are when you read them, that we were going to find out that there was a car accident in the area, and this was a ghost and a ghost car. No, how did the car get there? Even in a even in a car accident, it shouldn't have been able to get there. Why was the car there? Why was the man there? What happened to them? What was the smell? What was the death and the decay just ahead? Fascinating story. Fascinating story and terrifying because again, we cover this all the time. And I don't want to become I don't want to become the missing people podcast. I'm sure that would be a hit, but what if he kept walking? Would the family have ever known what happened to the son? Would it be one of those tragic stories of a family out on vacation and a young dude goes missing and they can never find any trace of him? Because he's not there. He's in another location. He's in another reality or realm. Imagine if he kept walking, he was smelling his own decaying remains. Smelling a future. Smelling what would happen to him if he continued to move forward. I mean, I guess that's a little far-fetched, right? Could have just been a dead goat, right? It doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be super Twilight Zony. But yeah, fascinating story. Absolutely terrifying. It doesn't have a giant slug wasp punching people in the face. It doesn't really even have an ending. There's just all the the mystery is there, and it was written from the dude that it happened to. Now, now listen, could he have made it up? Absolutely, right. All of these stories, every story we talk about, whether it's been published a hundred times in stories like Travis Walton's Fire in the Sky, or someone's posting it on the X board or on Reddit, it one hundred percent could be made up. So this stuff can be made up. It's totally be made up, but it's just fascinating, and I love stories like this. What is it? Is it a ghost? Alternate dimension? Trap? Paranormal trap? Why was the path laid out for him and not others? Have others disappeared on this same trail? Terrifying story from the point of view of someone who survived it. Who went down this trail and made the decision to walk back home. To be fair, he actually ran back to the cabin. But What would you do in that situation? I know I have a lot of intrepid paranormal researchers who listen to this show who want to know the truth, who want to see what's behind the next corner or see what's on the other side of that clearing in the woods. What would you do? Would your survival instinct kick in and you head back home? Or would you keep walking forward, one foot in front of the other, your curiosity overriding your sense of survival? How would you approach this mystery in the woods? 
I think it's an interesting question because those who are brave enough to continue on the journey, are they strong enough to survive what's waiting for them? I think the answer to that is pretty clear. We have a lot of stories of people mysteriously vanishing in the woods. And very, very few of them ever return. Would you be one of them? DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Peace.